Leaving the news heading out this week, you may notice the rising cost of gasoline. The national average is now $2.63. That's a jump from $2.50 just a week ago. The hike is blamed on those storms across the Gulf Coast, which forced refineries to close. Gas prices could rise even higher until they're back online. Three people are dead after a shootout at a gun store near New Orleans. A sheriff's official says a gunman opened fire Saturday, killing two people. Others in the store shot back with their own weapons. The initial shooter was killed and two others were injured in the gunfight. According to our affiliate WDSU, the gunman walked into the store with an unholstered gun, which led to an argument and then the shootout. And in today's Changemakers, we are honoring a piece of African-American history that's been restored thanks to a mayor in South Carolina. A historic cemetery dating back to the 1800s in Irmo was rededicated this weekend. It was the final resting place for some influential members of the black community, including the county's first African-American judge, Harold Bulwer Sr. Mayor Barry Walker has worked with the town council to preserve that legacy. So, Ted, Texas is going through a huge crisis disease right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's real bad. <laughs> and you literally abandoned it and flew to Cancun for a family vacation. That's right. And now I'm in a little bit of hot water, which I'm told is a thing no one in Texas has. Well, would you like to apologize? Absolutely. I deeply regret my actions over the last couple days, mostly flying United. <laughs> I was SNL this weekend roasting Senator Ted Cruz and his trip to Cancun. I mean, those beach braids were the best. I mean, everything. It sent it over the top. I think that's one of the best cold opens I've seen in quite a while. Yeah, and then the pita colada, too, just adding to it. It was a cold. Yeah. That segment was excellent. You knew that they were going to go with that. <laughs> kicking off our week-long NBC News series, State of the Struggle, a look at efforts to address racial inequality in America. Rahima Ellis tackles the divide in education, talking to members of the Little Rock Nine to discuss progress since school desegregation. Today, Little Rock Central High School is a landmark of America's struggle for equal education. We have made strides. We have a lot of multicultural clubs. In the fall of 1957, this was ground zero in the battle over where kids could be educated. It was not anticipated that, that we would be treated as equals and we were not. A mob confronted black students chosen to desegregate this Arkansas school. What do you remember about that first day? How terrified I was. And there was actually some talk among the Little Rock police who were that day protecting us, sort of protecting us, whether or not they would allow the mob to hang one of us and save eight. Terrence Roberts and Elizabeth Eckford were among the black students who became known as the Little Rock Nine. Why did you want to be a part of this venture? I wanted something very different for myself and other people like me. I think their stories and stories like that are what encouraged me to become a teacher. Congresswoman Johanna Hayes taught for 15 years before she decided politics was the path to change. Was there equity 
in education when you were teaching? I remember my first year of teaching, I had four textbooks for a class of 29 students. And these are the types of investments that we have to make if we care about our children's education. But now nearly 70 years after segregated schools were outlawed, the number of mostly minority schools has more than tripled in recent years. Housing segregation, income inequality, abandoned federal policies on desegregation, and some families having the option to choose the schools they want their children to attend all contribute to the state of education today. Kids who live in the most affluent districts have access to more resources. And I think COVID, the period that we're in right now, has only illuminated those equity gaps. Hayes is now fighting for change in and outside of classrooms. Make sure that those community-based services, things like housing and food security, are addressed, uh, mental health services, so that kids come to school ready to learn. But back at Central High, these students are still optimistic. All I can do is um, hope and work myself to uh, gain more equity. I'm hopeful that there, there will be change, but I'm not sure how long that change will take. Changing the future by learning from the past. Rahima Ellis, NBC News. We thank Rahima for that history lesson. Thanks for watching early today. We hope to see you right back here tomorrow. All this month, they are the black trailblazers and everyday heroes who've broken barriers, pushed for change, and brought progress to our country. Join us as we share their stories and celebrate groundbreaking changemakers. All this month on Today. All this month. They are the black trailblazers and everyday heroes who've broken barriers, pushed for change, and brought progress to our country. Join us as we share their stories and celebrate groundbreaking changemakers. All this month on Today. The impeachment trial, COVID relief, we're going to find out quickly whether this is going to be a functional bipartisan government. Would you support some raise in the minimum wage? Asking about vaccine distribution, where is the bottleneck? If it's Sunday, it's Meet the Press. of a new era in America. As Joe Biden takes office, the major changes and challenges ahead, the vaccine effort picks up. Where are the majority of those doses? NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. NBC News Now. We've got some breaking news. Trucks carrying the first U.S. shipment of the coronavirus vaccine. Hope for a whole lot of people who have been waiting months and months. It's news made for your streaming world. In our changing world, download the NBC News app. 
are we vaccinating right now to keep ahead of these mutant strains? We still have a demand that far exceeds supply. He's the first African-American crew member on an extended mission on the International Space Station. To be able to see someone that looks like them, that is super important. Perhaps the most successful gospel artist today. Where you're going is a lot bigger than where you've been. I am looking forward to seeing you in Tokyo. Thank you today, show family. Love you guys. Love you back. History in the making. The beginning of a new era in America. As Joe Biden takes office, the major changes and challenges ahead. What about the vaccines? The vaccines we have now, can they stop the South African variant? The first youth poet laureate captivating the nation and capturing our story. I have this understanding that the world is watching us, that we have the eyes of history and the future upon us. NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Developing overnight, Boeing has suspended the 777s after the terrifying failure aboard a United flight bound for Hawaii after an engine caught fire and fell apart. Over the weekend, the U.S. passed the grim milestone of over 500,000 coronavirus-related deaths. This morning, we'll look back at some of the amazing people we've lost. Texas works to rebuild following a deadly week of frigid temperatures, millions without power, and widespread damage from burst water pipes, the likes of which the state has never seen, not to mention those sky-high energy bills. Our Jose Diaz-Villard shines a light on one family's unique project of putting black history into focus. Plus, a major shout-out to 1,000 young women who made history on Sunday. Let's get started. Early today starts right now. Good morning, I'm Francis Rivera. And I'm Philip Mena. Step-up inspections will soon be ordered by the FAA for some Boeing 777 jetliners after a United flight with 229 passengers and 10 crew members on board experienced engine failure over the weekend. Part of the plane caught fire and debris fell over several neighborhoods. United Airlines and Boeing have both temporarily suspended the use of planes. NBC's Megan Fitzgerald has the latest on the investigation. Megan, good morning. Francis, good morning. I can tell you a lot of people are breathing a sigh of relief this morning. Uh, many of the passengers on the plane who actually saw that engine on fire say they started praying immediately because they didn't think they'd make it off alive. Mayday, mayday. New questions into what caused the terror in the skies. Hey, aircraft uh, just experienced a engine failure. Need a turn immediately. Well, it's terrifying. You could just feel it like boom, and you could hear it, and you just... We started shaking. An engine failure on a United 777 from Denver en route to Hawaii. 241 people on board. So the engine was on fire and there was smoke coming out of it. So uh, I told my wife that the engine was gone and she got up and looked out the window and uh, was a little bit panic stricken. Panic and fear turning into relief. Yeah! The plane landed safely, but a source familiar with the investigation tells NBC News that a fan blade inside the engine broke off. Half of another was gone. And one of those parts separates. It can cause a chain reaction inside that engine nacelle that can really do some damage. Aviation experts say one of the biggest questions is why the exterior structure of the engine flew off. This is a bit troubling because the structure should still remain attached even if you have a fan blade failure. It's just dropping people in there. That failure caused debris from the plane to scatter throughout several neighborhoods outside of Denver. 
we looked up and there is a ton of black stuff falling out of the sky and at first it looked like confetti all of a sudden i heard a big boom uh, and the house shook parts scattered across fields and streets even causing damage to some homes i'm going like what is that <laughs> so uh, i get up and look at it and i i see right away it's the front end of an airplane engine ntsb investigators scouring the area collecting evidence trying to solve the mystery of the malfunction and prevent it from happening again. Investigators picked up debris on Saturday, including from the field behind me here. I can tell you that the investigation into how and why this happened is underway. Francis? All right, Megan, thank you. As Texas begins to thaw out, a massive recovery effort is underway. Federal disaster aid has been approved for 77 counties. Power was restored to a majority of the state, but millions are still without clean water. And with millions in need, lawmakers stepped in to help. New York Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez spent the weekend volunteering at a Houston food bank. She helped raise $5 million in storm relief. A group of NBA Mavericks also stepped in. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban, along with the CEO and several players, donated a combined $1.25 million to the Dallas Mayor's Disaster Relief Fund. The nation's largest retailer, Walmart, has pledged $1 million in cash and product donations, and they couldn't come at a more crucial time. Our Dan Sheneman has more. Hundreds of thousands of Texans need help. It's still been like crazy. No power, no water, it's been a lot. Oil water notices are in place in many parts of the state. Residents in Houston lined up for help from a local food bank. We're doing water and various foods. So two things we're trying to accomplish, of course, for the people uh, because of the boil notice, uh, they need water, uh, but also for the families that uh, the economic impact of this, where they lost the food in their freezer or the refrigerator. Crews are now working to fix broken water lines. The demand for plumbers is high. But right now we just go in, it's like triage, go in, fix it, Go to the next one. Other Texans are dealing with a financial crisis. That's because many energy bills have skyrocketed due to changes in the market. The governor essentially placing all bills on hold. Texans who have suffered through days of freezing cold without power should not be subjected to skyrocketing energy bills due to, an in, to, due to a spike in the energy market. The winter weather is over for now. Its impact is not. Dan Shetterman, NBC News. Meanwhile, in Houston, the city lifted the boil water notice, but residents are still wary. Our Antonio Hilton is following that for us. Hi, Francis. Here in Houston, water continues to be a major frustration point, even though the city has announced that the boil water advisory here is no longer necessary. I've spoken to residents here at Butler Stadium who have come to this water distribution site, and some of them tell me that they don't trust that new guidance, that they're worried the water isn't truly safe enough to drink yet. Others tell me that their pipes have bursted, so the guidance doesn't help them anyway. They don't have water coming through their pipes at all. In response to these challenges, the city has consistently held these water distribution sites, and thousands upon thousands of residents have been coming here, eager to get their hands on cases of water and willing to wait for hours in line. 
the people who are experiencing these water shortages, who are going home to places or apartments where there are serious pipe damages or other water damages, they are going to be able to get some relief soon. The federal government has implemented a major disaster declaration, and that means that if you're a homeowner whose home needs repairs or you need help getting temporary living assistance because your home is unlivable right now, you're going to be able to reach out and apply for that. The truth, though, is that right now we still don't even know the full scope of the damage done by this storm. Hope they all get that help. Antonio, thank you. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is cooking up a plan to save restaurants devastated by the pandemic. The New York Senator touted his bipartisan $25 billion relief fund at a restaurant in Manhattan yesterday. The Restaurant Act is just a slice of the $1.9 trillion stimulus package. Senator Schumer says struggling restaurant owners would be able to apply for relief grants to help pay their employees rent or insurance. Turning now to Italy, where the iconic Mount Etna volcano erupted for the fourth time in four days. Spectacular jets of lava and ash shot several miles into the night sky from the volcano's southeast crater. Mount Etna is Europe's most active volcano, and humans have been recording its, its eruptions since... 1500 B.C. All right, we are coming off of one of the most disruptive weather weeks that I can remember. Uh, NBC meteorologist Bill Cairns joins us now to tell us what's in store this week. Hey, Bill, good morning. Good to see you. Yeah, good morning. Uh, great to see you guys, too. And it's amazing how quiet it's going to be this week compared to last week. I mean, at one point last week, we had 73% of the lower 48 covered in snow. I mean, by the end of this week, it'll probably be like 30 or 40%. We're going to do a lot of melting. But the little bit of snow problems that we're going to have today are now in the Ohio Valley. I paused this at 1 p.m. Notice that there's snow from Philadelphia to New York northwards. It looks like right along the coast, mostly a rain event, Washington, D.C., coastal Jersey, and also Long Island. New York City will probably see a mix. By about 5 p.m., when everyone's trying to head home from work. We'll still see rain from Boston to Providence to Hartford, but a little bit of snow in interior sections. Overall, not a huge snow event, but interior sections, and especially much of New York State and Pennsylvania, will pick up two to four inches of snow from this event. And I mentioned the warmth in areas of the Deep South, how to 70 degrees and sunny sound in many areas of Texas today. That's the big weather story of the day. Now here's a closer look at the weather outside your window. Well, we're going to continue to watch the cooler temperatures with the clouds and the mixture of some snow and also some rain. Notice the roads will be just fine in the big cities with high temperatures this afternoon in the mid-30s. And how about this for a reward and recovery forecast? Sunny and nice. Yeah, so they deserve it in the south, guys, the warmth and the sunshine, and it's going to last much of this week. Yeah, they need all the breaks they can get. Yeah, it's like a weather whiplash there. All right, Bill, thanks. Uh, talk about girl power. Nearly 1,000 girls and young women made history on Sunday. They reached a major milestone within the Boy Scouts of America. Well, the ladies became the Scouts' first group of female Eagle Scouts. The inaugural class was honored by the Boy Scouts in a virtual celebration. Uh, the rank requires at least 21 merit badges, and official figures say that only about 6% of Scouts reach that rank. We're back with the latest on the pandemic and a very somber milestone. The United States has now lost more than half a million lives to COVID. In New York City alone, about one in 295 people have died from the virus. More Americans have been killed by COVID than on the battlefields of World War I, World War II, and the Vietnam War combined. And behind each number is a life now being mourned. NBC's Kate Snow shares a look at some of their stories. A beloved nurse who inspired her colleagues. Thank you. 
A devoted father. We hope all your dreams come true and you live happily ever after. A music teacher. I love to sing. It's one of those things that changes students' lives. A Detroit bus driver. Grandfathers who danced with their kids. Some dancing even in their 90s. A middle school librarian who always kept in touch. I called you back. Call me back. I love you. A football coach and mentor. I'm only 33 years old right now. Well, all right, 33 plus. But um, it's been a glorious year. Just 2020, I have good vision for this. Get it? A proud Marine who served his country for 25 years. Happy birthday to all the Marines, past Marines, active Marines, wherever they are, in harm's way. A high school junior and cancer survivor. <laughs> An educator who inspired those going off into the world. Be resilient in life when there's disappointment or failure. Do your best work no matter who's watching. Stay true to all that you believe in. A loving son with so much ahead of him. A grandmother who always kept the faith. those losses will be brought to bear today in D.C. President Biden will confront the staggering loss of half a million Americans to COVID in his speech at the White House later this evening. Let's bring in our Capitol Hill correspondent Tracy Poston. Tracy, how is the president commemorating coronavirus victims? going to happen this evening, Francis. Uh, a candlelighting ceremony and a moment of silence for those now half million victims of COVID-19. He'll be joined by uh, First Lady Dr. Jill Biden, by the Vice President Kamala Harris, and the second gentleman at that ceremony at the White House. Meantime, today on Capitol Hill, hearings for two of the president's cabinet nominees for Attorney General Merrick Garland, who says that he will investigate the Capitol riot in a statement saying that 150 years after the department's founding battling extremist attacks on our democratic institutions also remain central to its mission. Congress also taking a look at Neera Tandon, the nominee to head the White House Budget Office, although she's facing some pushback, not only from Republicans, but at least one Democrat saying he won't vote for her because of tweets that she made uh, critical of the GOP, critical of the Republican Party. So we'll see those hearings get underway today. Mm, Francis. Big day had to start off our week. Tracy, thank you.
The Americans stayed calm, stayed in command until the final seconds ticked off. There was no calm then in the streets of Lake Placid either. On this day in 1980, one of the most iconic moments in sports history. The miracle on ice took place in Lake Placid where the U.S. Olympic hockey team upset the gold medal favorited Soviet Union 4-3. to Two days later, the U.S. would take home the gold medal. Of course, we all remember the, the iconic call as well from Al Michaels, you know, do you believe in miracles? Mm -hmm. I mean, such a veteran now after all these years, but he had only called like one game, one hockey game ever before those Olympics. It's crazy Incredible. to see history that way from yeah. that perspective and also just how it's extraordinary that was. Yeah. All right, this weekend SNL took aim at Senator Ted Cruz and his trip to Cancun while Texas was in a deep freeze. So you understand why people are calling you a coward? Yeah, yeah, coward is actually the nicest word I heard. <laughs> but let me ask you this. Would a coward have the cojones to blame his actions on his young daughters? <laughs> you blamed your daughters? Oh, yeah, the whole trip was the girls' idea. <laughs> they Cancun. There's so much for kids to do. The topless beach, shots at senior frogs swimming with sick dolphins. They love it. That was uh, one of the best cold opens in a long time, right? Those yeah. beach braids. Uh, that was supposed to be Britney Spears as well. The yeah. whole thing was so well done. The, the pina colada added to it. The only thing they're missing is a cabana right there. Beach side brain back. It was great. If you haven't seen it, uh, get a chance Good to get stuff. on there and watch it. All right, there are, congratulations are in order for Patrick Mahomes and his fiance Brittany Matthews. They welcomed their first child together over the weekend. Sterling Sky Mahomes was born on Saturday. Matthews revealed on Instagram that baby Sterling weighs six pounds and 11 ounces. Welcome back to early today. It's just amazing to think that today's going to be an average day for late February in Texas, and the temperatures are going to be in the 60s. That's how extremely unusually cold it was last week. But this warm-up actually goes all the way to the north. Even our friends in the Dakotas and Kansas City and Minneapolis are warm enough. Tuesday looks fantastic, guys, throughout the middle of the country. All right. Thank you, Bill. I'm Joe Fryer. And I'm Savannah Sellers. Right now on Morning News Now, unthinkable. The U.S. surpassing yet another sobering milestone in its fight against the coronavirus. 500,000 now dead. However, daily cases and hospitalizations still trending downward. The nationwide push to get vaccinations back on track after a week of wild weather. Shock to the system, the Lone Star State finally thawing out after last week's historic deep freeze, but that's given way to another crisis. Some Texans now facing sky-high electricity bills due to the significant demand. Response from the state's power companies and if residents will really have to shell out the cash. Grounded, Boeing suspending operations of more than 100 of their 777 aircrafts after an engine on a United Airlines flight caught fire, broke apart, and scattered debris over a Colorado neighborhood. Stunning video of the incident on board, the damage on the ground, and the latest in the federal investigation that's underway. And suit and tie game, Alex Trebek's classy and contained Jeopardy wardrobe donated to a New York City nonprofit benefiting formerly incarcerated and formerly homeless men. We'll speak to one man in charge of doling out the fabled clothing to those who are looking for a second chance. 
It really is. Such a great story when we've got a lot going on today. It's a good one that we'll bring to in a little bit. As if we needed any more reason to love Alex Trebek. Absolutely. I know. It just keeps coming. It really does. We'll get to that a little bit later. But for right now, more than half a million Americans have now died from the coronavirus and in just a little over a year since the first known COVID death in the U.S. Let's put this all in perspective. The United States has only 5% of the world's population, but more than 20% of the total deaths, giving America the unwanted distinction of being home to more deaths than any other country in the world. More Americans have now died from COVID-19 than on the battlefields of World War I, World War II, and the Vietnam War combined. Also important to remember, so many of those deaths have actually just come in the last few months. It's important that we just think of all the loss that we've experienced over the last year. Absolutely, which with each of those 500,000 is an untold number of people grieving around them. It's a real human toll as we keep talking about these numbers and they keep going up. We'll get back to the coronavirus in just a little bit, but now to Texas as the entire state thaws out from that deadly winter freeze. The water is running and the lights are back on for most homes, but now new concerns about the safety of the tap as some residents deal with the damage from burst pipes and others face outrageous energy bills. Let's begin our coverage with NBC News correspondent Antonia Hilton joining us now from Houston. Antonia, good morning. So first we had this freezing cold, then there was no power, then no water. So one week after the storm, after everything that started this all, they're still facing a lot of problems. What's the latest and what are you hearing from residents? How are they doing now? Morning, Savannah. The truth is the water continues to be the major frustration point for residents. Even though here in Houston, the boil water advisory has been lifted, there are many people still living in homes and apartment complexes where the pipes have burst and there's no water coming through for them at all. So the truth is this hasn't changed their material conditions. And then yesterday, our team was on the ground at a massive water distribution site and we met folks who had heard about this change but were still willing to wait in line for hours because they were nervous that truthfully they felt the water might not be safe enough to drink. This advisory was expected to last a bit longer and many Texans are hesitant. Take a listen to this conversation that I had with a resident named Angela Crooks. I'm still not comfortable, so I probably still boil throughout the weekend because originally they did say Monday or Tuesday. What makes you uncomfortable drinking the water right now? It's just the timeline. So they said Monday, Tuesday, and then they changed it until, you know, today is Sunday. So I just think I'll wait till Tuesday. Residents are often hesitant here in Texas because people here remember Hurricane Harvey like it was yesterday. They are accustomed to disasters here and often they know that recovery takes longer than promised, Savannah. Now, Governor Greg Abbott is vowing to make changes to prevent a repeat of last week's crisis, basically to ensure that the state can handle something like this. But how is he planning to do that? The governor has been consistently trying to reassure residents, and he said yesterday in a presser that legislators are not going to exit the Texas legislative session until they have addressed this power grid crisis. And that means winterizing the system so that in the event of future cold snaps, this never happens again. Uh, take a listen to him in his own words. We should never run short of power again. Texas is the energy state. We need to make sure that we translate that into power generation to make sure that the power stays on. 
The governor has already held meetings with a bipartisan group of lawmakers to address aspects of this crisis, and residents can expect further meetings like that in the coming days. And now, Antonio, President Biden has approved a major disaster declaration in Texas. Talk to us about how that will help with recovery efforts. How will people who live there actually feel that? That's right. The Biden administration has implemented this major disaster declaration. And what that means is if you're a homeowner who's seen significant damages or losses because of this storm, or you and your family are living in a place that is now unlivable because of this, you're going to be able to reach out to the federal government for aid in the form of a loan or temporary housing if you need it. The governor may also reach out to the administration for approval for additional counties to be included in all of this. But this process is going to be a process. And right now, we still do not know the true scope of the damage that has been done. Antonia, thank you so much for your reporting from Texas. As if the power outages and water issues weren't stressful enough, many Texans are now facing another major problem, sky-high electricity bills, with some charged thousands of dollars for just the last few days. Let's bring in NBC News senior business correspondent Stephanie Rule to help us understand this step. I think this confuses a lot of people. So first and foremost, just tell us, how could this happen? Well, one of the reasons, Joe, it's confusing is most of us don't think about that because most states have regulated electricity. Our prices are capped. But Texas, this state is about deregulation, and they have got one of the most competitive electricity markets out there, right? So a lot of these private companies offer all sorts of incentives and offers for people, and one of them is to get wholesale electricity pricing, meaning you can get fixed pricing, that's what we get, or wholesale meaning it floats every day it can fluctuate. And normally, given it's warm down there in Texas, those numbers are really low. However, when you get a cold snap like this and people jack up their heat and you see some power suppliers go offline because of the weather, well, the prices go skyrocketing high. We saw some people, I spoke to one man down in Texas whose second home normally has about $49 a month in an electricity bill. Over the last week, it was four thousand take a look at this in the last five days not only had they auto debited my account something like six seven hundred dollars but they said i actually owed them an extra twenty six twenty seven hundred dollars just within a four or five day period did you know this price surge was even possible no how could anybody think that the price is going to go up so high and not only that with my minimal usage so this is the thing people signed up to get this kind of electricity so they really can't say much however many many people are saying they don't want to get this kind of electricity they are turning the electricity off they are trying to leave companies like gritty but it takes seven days to switch over to fixed pricing. And with every day that passes, those prices are sky high. Gritty says they intend to try to work with their customers, possibly work with the government. But thus far, those bills are massive. Yeah, so Steph, what is the power company saying about all of this and all the anger that's out there? They understand that people are angry, but they're saying the way this works in an unregulated system, when the cost goes up for them, they pass it on to the customer and they're not regulated. In other places where there are caps, we don't face this. 
Texas wanted a different situation. You saw former, former Governor uh, Rick Perry say, Texans, they don't want the government involved in their business. If we have to be cold for a few days, we'll take it. Well, that's easy to say if you're in his position. You've got thousands of people down there in Texas who cannot afford their bills. So what can people do about this? Is there anything we can do? We saw that one guy, his account's been debited. I know someone else I read, his credit card's already been charged. Ultimately, are people gonna have to pay these outrageous power bills? As of now, yes. However, President Biden has declared Texas a state of emergency, so there may be some support there. And Governor Abbott, you saw him speaking just a few moments ago, called a commission yesterday, speaking to other lawmakers, saying we have to do something about this. Texans shouldn't face a fate like that. However, this is what lawmakers in Texas, this is what voters basically decided on years ago. So the ability to reverse this is going to be difficult because it's not like it's the government that's charging this to these customers. It's private business and they're allowed to. Stephanie, thank you so much for, as you like to say, making us smarter and helping us understand this. Appreciate it. Now with more than half a million Americans dead from the coronavirus, the push to vaccinate more people is growing. Right now, nearly 6% of Americans are fully vaccinated, but the U.S. is playing catch up in the rollout with shipping delays nationwide, all connected to last week's winter weather. NBC News correspondent Gabe Gutierrez is outside the Javits Center, one of the mass vaccination sites in New York City. Savannah and Joe, good morning. It is a grim milestone. More than 500,000 American lives lost to COVID-19. More than on the battlefields of World War I, World War II, and the Vietnam War combined. Now, we're here outside of the Javits Center, a state-run vaccination center here in New York. And authorities say that more doses of the Pfizer vaccine are expected today. Moderna, more of them, later this week. This comes after vaccine appointments had to be postponed last week because of weather concerns. Now, the Biden administration says that it is confident it will be able to catch up and that of the 6 million delayed doses, more than 2 million have already been administered. Now, Dr. Fauci, though, says that herd immunity is a long way off and that Americans should expect to be wearing masks outside their homes a year from now, even though they should expect some degree of normality by this fall, he says. Savannah and Joe. Thank you, Gabe. Let's bring in NBC News medical contributor, Dr. Natalie Azar. So, doctor, we are a year into fighting this pandemic. We've now lost half a million Americans. Let's just pause for a moment and think about that. I mean, is this something that you thought would have even been possible a year ago? And where do you think we go from here? You know, Joe, I mean, it does feel incomprehensible. Um, and, you know, now isn't really the time to, I, I think, relitigate what happened in the last year. but. Really, when we think about everything that did happen or didn't happen, it really was rather inevitable. Um, you know, just I think last March, it was Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks who had predicted that we would have around 240,000 uh, deaths by the summer if if social mitigation strategies were not implemented. Um, and we've clearly far surpassed that. So, you know, it is certainly a reminder of uh, a, a year that did not go the way it should have from a public health perspective. Um, and I think we can reflect on that. But we've learned a lot from that and, and we need to keep on moving forward. Life has changed a lot in the last year. We hope things will change for the better in the next year. Uh, here's what Dr. Fauci told CNN on when we could see some more norm normalcy. 
do you think Americans will still be wearing masks, for example, in 2022? You know, I think it is possible that that's the case. As we get into the fall and the winter by the end of the year, I agree with the president completely that we will be approaching a degree of normality. It may or may not be precisely the way it was in November of 2019, but it'll be much, much better than what we're doing right now. So what do you think? Is it possible we'll still be wearing masks and doing some social distancing in 2022? You know, Joe, I think this is this is the inherent problem with making predictions like this. Um, you know that they are basically modeling. Uh, you know, and and you think about what's going to happen in the future based on a number of different levers, right? That is, how many people actually the speed with which people get vaccinated and the uptake of those vaccinations, as well as natural immunity and how long that lasts, which we actually don't know. And then we have all the variants, right? Which just adds another um, another wrinkle to to everything. So look, you know, when you listen to Dr. Fauci's comments, he says it's possible. He's not committing to that. But his point is simply this. Even at the point that we do reach herd immunity, where there really is just so very little virus able to transmit because of immunity, where does that get us? We, he wants that that transmission number to be down as close to zero as possible. Yesterday, we still had around 56,000 new cases. So even if we get down to the 15,000 or 20,000 new cases a day range, we're not taking off our masks yet. So I think he's just being very, very cautious and saying, look, until we get to the point where enough people have been vaccinated, that we got 90%, let's say, of the country immune, that's maybe when we can start to relax that. And that may very well not be in the fall the way we would all like to think it will be. It's important to get that message out there now just so people are mentally prepared. Doctor, I do also want to ask you about Texas. People are worried with last week's weather that folks were gathering to stay warm. And then there was, of course, the slowdown of vaccinations. Could that possibly lead to some type of spike of cases there? Well, of course. I mean, especially because, you know, folks who needed to gather with, you know, friends or family who did have power or, you know, perhaps in shelters and things like that, we do worry about that, um, you know, indoors with poor ventilation. So, you know, I'm hoping that they were enforcing mask wearing um, while all this was happening. But sure, there's a lot of issues with water supply. Um, you know, hospitals were running out of water. So there very well could be some additional fallout from that, but hopefully it won't be too significant. All right, Dr. Razor, thank you so much. Severe winter storms across the South delayed the distribution of millions of coronavirus vaccine doses. But Dr. Anthony Fauci said that the U.S. should be back on track by midweek. NBC News Now correspondent Dasha Burns joins us now. Dasha, good morning. Now, logistics for vaccine distribution have been one of the biggest challenges here. You've been showing us that firsthand across the country. So how's the U.S. catching up on these unadministered doses that were affected with the winter weather last week? Hey, Savannah, yeah, a tough time to see these issues with distribution when supply was already a challenge, logistics were already a challenge. Now we see these 6 million doses affected. The CDC said the severe weather caused uh, delays, widespread delays with shipping and deliveries. And there were also some cases, Savannah, where these power outages caused some facilities to have to administer doses very quickly when cold storage went down so that they wouldn't expire. But Dr. Anthony Fauci did talk to our colleague Chuck Todd on Meet the Press. He was optimistic that we would be able to play catch up rather quickly. He says two million of those six billion have already gone out and we should be able to catch up on that other four million by midweek, which uh, we all hope will be the case considering how big of an issue this has been already, Savannah. 
Now, Dasha, let's talk some good news. I want to ask you about recent data from the COVID tracking project, which shows that hospitalizations are at the lowest level since early November. What are experts saying about the decline? Is this cause for hope? It's much needed good news, especially right now. Savannah, experts are, are happy that this is the trend. We want to see this trend continue. But they are split uh, about the reasons why. Some say that the vaccine is, is partly to credit the 41 million Americans that have received at least one dose and about 16 million Americans who have received both doses. But others say that's not quite a big enough dent to credit uh, vaccination for this decline. Uh, Dr. Uh, Tom Frieden, the former CDC director, went on CNN and said that uh, it's more due to mask wearing, the social distancing to folks you know, doing the right thing and, and keeping each other safe, Savannah. Now, Dasha, also, here's kind of a wild one. Health officials in Michigan have released information about the case of an organ transplant patient who died after receiving lungs from a donor with COVID-19, even though they didn't believe that the donor had COVID-19, according to their first testing. What can you mm -hmm. tell us about what happened and what else can be done to prevent something like this in future organ transplants? Yeah, Savannah, a striking case. They did test the donor initially, nose and throat samples. The test came back negative for COVID-19. But a few days after the transplant, the recipient started to have symptoms, fever, high blood pressure, trouble breathing. Scans showed a lung infection and a test did come back positive for COVID-19. They went back and took a deeper lung sample and that showed uh, positivity for COVID-19. The surgeon who handled the lungs also tested positive, though he did recover. Now, experts say this is an isolated incident. It's the only confirmed case out of 40,000 transplants that were done in 2020, but it is resulting in some calls for more thorough testing, those deeper samples from the lungs, Savannah. All right, Dasha Burns getting us caught up across the board on COVID headlines. Thanks so much, Dasha. Thanks, Savannah. Now let's get headlines and news around the world this morning. Matt Bradley is with us from London. Hi, Matt, good morning. Hey, good morning, Savannah and Joe. I'm gonna start out as usual here in London where UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is set to announce a roadmap for lifting coronavirus restrictions. That's gonna to happen today. And that British Prime Minister, he was widely criticized for his handling of the crisis, but now the government is being widely praised for their handling of the vaccine distribution. And that's paved the way for a gradual, cautious reopening. Now schools are set to open on March 8th, and two families or a group of six friends will be able to meet outdoors by the end of next month. So in Italy, where I actually spent the first couple of months of this crisis, there were memorial services yesterday marking one year since the first death from COVID-19, a disease that would eventually take a huge death toll. In Italy, Italians laid reeds, planted trees, and prayed for 95,500 confirmed dead from that virus. Now. Here's some much needed good news. A koala bear in Eastern Australia has received that species first ever prosthetic limb. The orphan bear was rescued in 2017 in Northern New South Wales by a veterinarian. Guys. Oh, that's pretty cute. Looks like he's climbing away with it. <laughs> Science, whether it's hygiene or prosthetic it limbs. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Very good, Matt, yeah. thank you. Time now for a check on your morning news now weather. Which means Bill Cairns joins us now. Hi, Bill. Good morning. 
Hey, good morning. Oh, what a difference a week makes. I mean, it's incredible. You know, Texas is back to normal, which means temperatures in the 60s and 70s today, which is just crazy, and just lets you know how unusually wild last week was. So let's start with the temperatures in Texas right now. Notice Corpus Christi and Laredo, upper 50s already. San Antonio and Houston are in the low 50s, where there's still some snow and ice on the ground. Oklahoma City, Little Rock, Dallas, Abilene. That's where it's still a little bit colder, but that's not going to last. The nice warm-up will begin as we go throughout today, and especially into Tuesday. And even our friends in the northern plains, I mean, Minneapolis, 41 degrees this time of year. Look at Pierre, South Dakota, 57 degrees. So this is a February thaw all the way up to the Canadian border. And on Tuesday, Dallas hits 73 degrees. Goodbye, snow. Little Rock at 64. That'll take a big chunk out of your snowpack, too. And eventually, some of that warmth will shift to the east. As far as the east goes today, we do have a little bit of winter weather to deal with. Give yourself a little extra time if you're driving through central New York or central Pennsylvania. A brief period of moderate to heavy snow will produce about one to two inches on the ground. It'll, it's cold enough to stick in many cases, too, especially the higher elevations. I don't think the areas like D.C. or Philadelphia or New York are going to see much accumulating on the roads, but we could get a coating on the grassy surfaces, the trees are also on top of the cars, about one to three inches across the board in areas of the northeast. So for today's forecast, as we mentioned, the southern half of the country, it feels like spring, and we'll get rid of that mess in the northeast by about 6 p.m. this evening as it heads off the coast, guys. All right, Bill, thank you so much. See you next hour. Boeing has now suspended operations for more than 100 of its aircraft. The company is grounding its 777s, the ones powered by a specific Pratt & Whitney engine after a dramatic scene unfolded in Colorado over the weekend. An engine from a United Airlines flight caught fire and fell apart, leaving large pieces of metal debris scattered across a neighborhood near Denver plane made an emergency landing. None of the passengers and crew on the plane was injured. The Federal Aviation Administration and National Transportation Safety Board are investigating. And the FAA is now requiring immediate or stepped up inspection of the planes. Coming up, Judge Merrick Garland will be back on the Hill today, set to appear before the Ju Senate Judiciary Committee, where he'll make his case to be Biden's next attorney general. Inside his opening argument and what we're expecting to hear from lawmakers up next. All this month, they are the black trailblazers and everyday heroes who've broken barriers, pushed for change, and brought progress to our country. Join us as we share their stories and celebrate groundbreaking changemakers. All this month on Today.